0: That was a great thought. Sanctified, glorified, established in Christ and looking forward to the day of glory. But in between, we have a life to live. And that's what we're thinking about. We have been getting together to think about the life. That's what says right at the top there, the life that I now live. The part in between the justification experience and the glorification experience, that part that we live out on this life. You listen to certain kinds of, Uh, Christian music it sounds like what we do is we get justified and we hope for glorification we just hang in there any way we can just get from here to here there safely that's not the biblical approach there's a purpose for our being here there is something that God wants to do for us and we want to think about that again this evening but let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer Father, we come and again ask you to meet us by the Spirit of God. We come and thank you for your word. We come to give you thanks for that salvation, that full salvation that you've made for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that whether we understand it or not tonight, there's the potential to be complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're coming and asking you to enable us to understand that in a fuller sense and Guide us into that life of faith that you have for us. We come and trust you for it, and we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were a class, I could pass out papers and give you a test. I'm not allowed to do that. All right? I'm not allowed to do that tonight. One of the things I try to harp on the guys that I'm teaching how to somehow present the Word of God is this, that you have to define your terms. You have to tell people what it really means. And I wonder if we've been thinking about this, that God has done a work so that we could experience life. He said that I have come that they might have life. That is the ones who are committed to him might have life and have it abundantly. Suppose I gave you a piece of paper, blank piece of paper, and said describe it. Describe the experience of life. Now, again that 's a pretty broad subject isn 't it? Describe what it means to have abundant life. What does it feel like? What does it look like? How does it work out well if i 'm going to teach people to do that, then it would I, it probably is the best way to teach them is to go ahead and try that myself because that 's not an easy it 's not easy fill in the blank it 's not one word answer. How do you describe that life? How do you know whether you have abundant life and so um, I have uh, attempted at the top of the page, because I, th- I think we should have to keep coming back to this, to give us some direction in this matter of life. What is the abundant life? What does it look like if we're experiencing it? How will we know? All right, now, let's me just say the experience of life, abundant life is knowing God. Let's be clear about that. Abundant life is knowing God. That's the right answer. If you say what, what is life? Life is knowing God. That's true. That's true. But if you do know God, if you have come to that place where you have... Taken hold of who he is, how will it work out? Now, I gave a list of, of suggestions. This is not complete. They're not in, these aren't pigeonhole things because they overlap. I realize that. But we have to make a stab at it. If you are experiencing life, what does it look like? First thing I have under that is you have the courage to face reality. The courage to face reality. Life is hard. Let's face that. Life is hard. Every one of us, we saw it again. We don't want to harp too long on this, but we're a dying group, right? All flesh is grass, and all of its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. That's not the most pleasant thought. It's the beginning of the gospel. It's when a man faces that, he begins to understand the truth that's in Jesus Christ because he begins to grapple with reality. Reality is, I have almost no control over what's happening to me. I don't control the government. I don't control the seasons. I don't control the diseases that are out there. I, <laughs> there's so many things that are completely outside of my control. And for that reason, one of the most common habits of people on this earth is drinking alcohol. It's been that way all the way through drugs and alcohol. Why? Why? Because life is too hard to face. And it's easier if you just dull yourself to it. It's, again, I think the challenge of the passage on being filled with the Spirit of God goes right down those lines. It's my, my interpretation. I realize that there are a lot of different opinions on that. Why Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. We're in his excess. But be filled with the Spirit of God. And I think what he's saying there is that if you have real life, you don't need this. Don't go that route. Take a good look at life. Trust God and let's plow right into it. Now, only people that are really alive can do that. It takes abundant life to do that. We're going to be talking about that. Second point, again, I'm not. this isn't my sermon. This is just the warm-up part. Okay, so we've we got to go quickly. Um, second thing is this. People have the capacity to order their actions and reactions. We have this thing called sin, sin, nature, uh, flesh, however you want to put it. There's something in there that doesn't want to do right, even though we know it would be better for us if we did do right. If we broke this habit, it would be better for us, but we don't. All Right? A man who's alive has a capacity to order his actions. I put reactions in there too because if you could order everything and there was nothing bumping you from the outside, this would be fairly simple. Now you could you could work out this. But just about the time you think you've got your patience under complete control, somebody cuts you off in traffic and, and honks the horn in the back. Anyway, you get and and then there's reaction, right? See, it's the ability a person who has life has the ability to not only order their actions but order their actions when they have to react to what's going on around them. Third thing we have there, a person who's really alive has a confidence to live above the pressures of society. A confidence to live above the pressures of society. The desire to be accepted, which is not fulfilled, thwarts an awful lot of lives in this day. The desire to be accepted by people out there and not see that fulfillment controls a lot of people, controlled by likes on a a phone, controlled by the pressures out there. Now, again, we're talking about both the pressures to conform and the pressures that come against a person who doesn't conform. If you're going to be alive, if you're going to experience real life, you're going to have to be above all that. You're going to have to be able to walk above that. Fortitude, you've got to have strength. If you're going to be alive, you're going to have to have strength to face the reality. This world is controlled by demonic powers, and you have to be above them. Finally there, at the end, if you're going to experience real life, you're going to have to know how it is. That your life can bless others because that's why you were created. All the, the first four of these all lead to this. A capacity, a possibility that your life could mean benefit to the people who are right around you. That's what it finally comes to. That's where Jesus comes at the end. He, where he's talking about abiding in him. He's talking about abiding in him, bearing fruit. But that fruit ultimately has to do with people around me being built up because I'm there. Now, if all those things were, were happening at the same time, they're all together there, you're having an abundant life. You're having an abundant life. How can they happen? And that's what we've been thinking about. What is the path to the life that now we, we now live? Now, point two here, I want to think about some factors in this. A, a very important paper was given to me when I was a student. It was written, uh, the paper was a, an excerpt, from a work by Griffith Thomas, in which he was talking about sanctification. But what he has to say about sanctification has to do with our whole life here. And he says in there, there are four factors. And if, we're going to, if you're going to be able to follow me in what I'm saying, then you have to think about these four factors that combine in our experience to bring us to our, that fullness of life. The first factor, he says, is the factor of Jesus Christ. We said last week, we think about that, that you're complete in Him, When he came and lived on this earth, and particularly when he died, was buried, and rose again, and ascended into heaven, he worked out a salvation which is absolutely complete for every one of us. I don't know that there are very many Christians who actually, in their brains, have gotten hold of the fact that you are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ, or else we wouldn't have so many things drawing us aside to look for completion. We just wouldn't go there. The reason we go there is because we haven't seen it yet. Because you will never fathom the depths of who he is and what he has done and what that could mean in your day-by-day experience. So He's that's first. He is your salvation. That's the center of everything. And every if, you, if you're in a church, if that is not the center of what you're being told, the greatness of who Jesus Christ is, I would suggest you find someplace else to listen to the word of God because the purpose of the word of God is to glorify Jesus Christ. So that's the second factor in this he says, is the word of God. Jesus is not on this earth in a visible way today. The only way I can know who he is and what he's done is in the recorded word of God. Spirit of God has seen to us that the record concerning what Jesus did and how he lived has been preserved so that tonight I can have an understanding of that. That's why these are Bible studies. That's why I teach at a Bible school. All we teach is Bible because the more you know that word, the deeper you can come into a relationship and understanding of who Jesus Christ is because that's how you find it out. You don't want to just go to everybody. Within yards of this institute, within a quarter mile of this institute, you could find all kinds of people who could talk to you about who Jesus is, and they would be telling you things which aren't true. They're right here on our doorstep. And again, that all that means is, again, are you afraid of that? No, I'm not afraid of that. Because there is a word. And that's one of the things that I do insist that students get hold of, that everything, everything I'm telling you, you have to test by that word, but we, have to go, that we all have to submit to that. We always submit to that word. doesn't matter what I think. It matters what he says, because in that word are the treasures concerning who Jesus Christ is. That's the second factor. Now, if it was just that, it would be all up to our intellects, but it's not up to our intellects. One of the reasons... Do what I do here is because I know something else. The Spirit of God is alive on this earth, moving to tell you that the Word of God is true. He is moving to unveil to you who you are and who Jesus Christ is through that Word. That's the that's reason, again, we get together here to give Him a chance to speak His Word, to go and, and, and work in your life. He's been working in your life all along. It's it's one of those mysterious things when you come to Christ and you realize that the Spirit of God's been there all along. He's been hedging you in and pushing you this way and going that direction to make it it clear. So the Spirit of God is also a factor in in your coming to Christ. Then the final factor is this factor of faith. Because once you see who Jesus is, and you understand it through the Word of God, and the Spirit of God pressures you, what He pressures you do, to do is to take hold of what God has done for you. right? So it's, it's a life of faith because you're, you're taking hold of that, that particular, whatever feature it is that you're thinking about. He's going to always call you to faith. So I have this formula that I tell people, you want to you preach effectively, you've got to take the Word of God. Trust the Spirit of God. Take the Word of God to glorify Jesus Christ and then call people to trust Him. Do that, and you're going to be right in line with the Spirit of God because that's what He's doing tonight. He's moving, and He's here tonight. Because every time you open the Word, you see, it's called the Word of God. God is speaking. Every time you open it, it doesn't become the Word of God when you understand it. It was always the Word of God. It's kind of like, I think the Spirit of God must be kind of like some of those teachers we had when we were growing up who kept saying, this is the way it is, this is the way it is. And you didn't get it, didn't get it. Yeah, let's spell it right. now. I don't get it, I don't get it. I got it. All right? If you've ever been a teacher, it's, it's always a great day when, I get it. But it didn't become true the day they got it. It was always true. They just didn't get it. All right? Spirit of God is always speaking. Every time you open that word, that's why... I'm never afraid to get you opening up that Bible. Anytime you can get somebody to open it up and read, this is to the glory of God. I mean, you're doing the right thing because in there is contained all the truth. We saw that last week. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, we want to think about how is the Christian life lived, and we want to think about the basics of it. We're going to be thinking over the details, but we want to go back to the basics. I want to go back to... Uh, an extremely simple passage. Now, again, let me just mention this. I was, I'm in between on this one, but uh, yesterday I was listening to my pastor speak, and I thought, well, there's something. I'm getting ready for this, and I already have this worked out on post. I was really ahead of myself. I had notes already worked out, and he quoted the book of 2 Thessalonians. There's one you don't go to very often, but I want to just go there because you can see it working out all those factors in one, a couple verses anyway. In 2 Thessalonians... Chapter 2, Paul is speaking to them in verse 13. Listen to it, and you have all four factors in these two verses. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren. He's talking about how they've been saved. Uh, uh, Beloved brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth truth here is would be equivalent of the word of God. So it's sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. And then he goes on in the next verse to say this. It was for this. He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's the salvation. The spirit of God is the one trying to get that across to you. He's going to use the word of God to uncover that to you. And when he does and you begin to see the greatness of who he is, he is then going to say, embrace it, grab it, trust him. All right. So that's that's the pattern. Now, what I want to do tonight is to look at a passage in Colossians. So if you will turn to Colossians chapter two, Colossians chapter two, how's this all worked out? What should it what should it look like on a day by day basis? That's what we're, we're thinking about. Um. The book of Colossians, let me just note a couple things about it. Um, the year that this is written, we don't know exactly, but it's it's in the early 60s, all right? The early 60s, not our 60s, you know, but this is the, the first century 60s, okay? The Lord probably was crucified in about the year 30, all right? So it's only about 30 years after the crucifixion, all right? If we've got to correct... The Apostle Paul was in, he never went to Colossae, but he was in this region in in Ephesus, which is nearby, and it seems like the man who started the church in Colossae came from Ephesus in a, in the late 40s, in the middle to late 40s, which means that this church, when Paul wrote to it, couldn't have been much more than 15 years old, right? So when he is speaking to them, nobody in that church grew up in the church. All right? <laughs> it just wasn't a possibility. The church hadn't been around that long. Everybody who was part of this band of believers was there because they had been in the heathen world and had heard the gospel and as adults had come to them, or relative adults. So these are what we call first, first-generation Christians. And Paul is deeply concerned about their, their growth. Now, here's what they, they had teachers coming in, and we, we don't know. This is it's kind of indefinite whether there's one teacher or multiple teachers, but they all had the same trend. They had a, a brand, whether it was one scheme or whether it was just different schemes that had the same problem with it. It all came down to this, um, just to simplify it. Jesus was a good start for the Christian life. If you want to come into life, you're going to have to have him. So trust him for that. But now that you're in, if you want to get to the heights, if you want to know the full and rich experience of life, you're going to need something else. Some of them suggested that it was angels. You have experience with an angel. You see an angel, and you're going to know what it is to really live. Some of them suggested it was discipline. And when you get to a place where you have really good discipline in your life, and it had to do with don't eat this, don't eat that, you know, do this, do this, all those things, when they are true of your life, then you're going to begin to enter into the fullness of life. Others suggested that there were secret there was secret knowledge that was hidden away that you had to get to. That what was being taught by the apostles, that's just the surface teaching. But there are deep teachings that you have, and I know the secret, and I can tell you the secret, and when you get there, you're going to know the fullness of life. Paul is going to insist in this book that that is absolutely not true, that your salvation is Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end, that he is your You are complete in him. That's where it comes from this book. You are complete in him. He's everything you're going to need. And here's what you have to do about it. Let's start to read in chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit ahead so you can get the feel for how he's approaching this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are in Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. That doesn't translate very well to us, but it just means this, that I I want the full knowledge of Jesus Christ to come to you, and there's a wealth that's going to be yours when you get hold of all that. And he says this in verse 3, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and wisdom has to do with daily living, how, how you can live the right way. You want to know it? Know him. All right, verse 4. I say this so that no one will delude you. That is, delude you means confuse you and take you away with persuasive argument. For even though I'm absent in the body, nevertheless I'm with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Now here he's going back to the faith that they had when they came. You haven't moved from Christ as the source of your justification and the source of your life. Verse 6, this is where we're going to be these next two verses uh, we want to think of in detail. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Let me read just a little bit more because it leads us right into that verse we had last week. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Don't let them tell you life is anywhere else. Don't buy it. Go back to the Lord Jesus Christ. For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. And we're going to stop right there. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. All right. Well, let's just go through a real quick exposition of the thing. First two key words there is receive and, and walk. All right. Receive and walk. And um, let me just note about them. Receive. All right. You have, you have received is in a tense which expresses the fact that this is something that happened in a point of time. He is going back to the day they were saved, the day that they were delivered, the day that they came to know Jesus Christ and they were justified by God. They entrusted themselves into his hands. It's a, it, there is a point which has to happen in each of our lives when we come and in an act of faith we entrust ourselves to Christ. You don't grow into this. You don't kind of creep into it. There has to be. You may not be able to remember it, if you were, particularly if you were raised in a Christian home and you had um, this all in front of you. You may not remember when it took place, but it did take place if you have life today. For those of us that were older, we do remember at least close to that moment when it came. Right? when you entrust it. As you receive, that's what he says. Then he says, now walk. The walk has to do with keep, it on, keep on doing it day after day after day after day after day. Walk is Paul's most common way of expressing living. All right? It's his way of expressing living. And it your walk includes everything you do. All right? So, that if we are tracing our walk today, all right, your walk today, um, and again, because people, life isn't quite as as common or normal as it was in the, when I was in the 50s, you know, everybody did the same thing. Every kid ate breakfast the same time. But, you know, don't, but that doesn't happen anymore. We're a crazy world. But anyway, let's chase a typical sort of day. You woke up this morning. Most of you woke up this morning, all right? So it was. Uh, it could be different, but anyway, you woke up this morning, and that's when walking started in a sense, and you got out of bed, and uh, you may have gotten cleaned up for the day, all right, let's just put you there, and then you went downstairs, or well, you went somewhere else, the kitchen, and ate something, you had your coffee, it's just a step in the walk. You might have read your Bible, you might have gone right to work. You might have gone to a school where you're you're studying. You, that was your walk. When you got there, if you were a student, you're studying, that's your walk. If you went to work, that was your walk. If you, if you worked at your house, that was your walk. If you walked your dog, that was your walk. Your walk is everything you're doing. Right? Does it make sense? It, it's important to get that. It's, it doesn't have to do with some events or some parts of your life. When he says walk, he tells us that the Christian life is a life and it's a continuous life. It includes everything we do. You're a Christian all of the time. You are to experience it all of the time and there is provision for everything you'll run into in that entire experience. Right? So he says that you're to, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. I want to go to the next verse because I want to see just, again, he so, shows the same things you can you look at it later on. Um, having, uh, again, verse 7, having been firmly rooted, and again, that having been firmly rooted talks about what happened at the very beginning. There are four participles in this verse, and that doesn't matter what those are, but anyway, there are four participles. One of them talks about something that happened in the past, and it's finished. You were firmly rooted when you came to Christ, God did something for you. He put you into Christ in such a way that you're had you. You're like a tree which has been planted by the rivers of water. You have been planted in a place where everything you need starts to flow. But that took place at a given moment. Now he says after that took place, there is an outworking of it. He describes that with three other participles. The first one here he says is this, uh, now being built up, being built up. You are like a structure which is being constructed, like a house that's being built and it's being put into place. You are like a tree which has been planted there, which now is in the process of growing. You plant an orchard and you put a little stick. (laughs) The first time I planted apple trees and there's your apple tree, a tree. It's a stick. And it took a long time to prepare holes for this stick. And then you stick it in the ground. It's been planted. Now what's it do? It's built up as it begins to take hold of all that stuff that I put in the ground. And in a few years, it becomes a fruitful tree. It's being built up. All right? Then he goes, so says this. Not only are you being built up, but you're being established in your faith. That's part of what's happening for you today. God is establishing you in your faith. He's teaching you who Jesus is so that your faith stops being a wavering faith, stops being an irregular faith, and begins to be the established course of your life. There is no advantage in my salvation from the day that I was saved to now. Jesus Christ was everything to me then. I had everything I needed then. But something has happened in my life between then and now. We can't ignore that. Fifty years of being worked on by the Spirit of God should have, I hope it has, led me to a place where my Christian life is more stable because I don't look other places as often as I used to look. Because I have found out that won't work, and that won't work, and that is not a substitute for Jesus Christ. And that if I put my confidence firm in who He is, He will prove Himself to me as faithful. It doesn't change Him; He's still. I could have done that back here, right? Because everything was always there. He didn't change. But the stability of your faith changes as you begin to learn that he's, he's trustworthy. And this is part of the process. And then he says this at the end, uh, as you, just as you were instructing. then you overflow, you overflow with gratitude, because as you learn that, as you begin to walk this way, you begin to realize something, and you take hold of it, and it overflows with gratitude. Now, <clears throat> what we want to do then is retreat back to verse 6. You'd be surprised how little there is in commentaries on this verse. And I guess, and again, it's it's so simplistic that maybe it doesn't require anything, no comment. But in another sense, I want to go over it because I have over the years that I've been teaching here had people who had this sort of thought that, you know, I, I come to Christ, and I understand that, I commit myself to him in faith, and then they're not sure exactly what to do next. Read my Bible? Okay, I'll read my... You know, they, they have... Christian disciplines, but they don't see how it works. They don't see how what happened here relates to what has to happen on the daily basis. So I know this is extremely simplistic, all right? I know it is. But for those who might be in that place where you haven't connected the dots as to how that event should affect all of these events, here's what Paul has to say. As you've received, walk. Do the next, take the next step exactly the same way you started. Now that demands that we stop back and think. Well, how did we start? How did we start? How did we receive Jesus Christ? What did that mean? Now I'm kind of on your paper there. There's kind of a boilerplate sort of a. This is a testimony. <laughs> is, the, the events are 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 different. All right. The details. Show up differently with different people. If we got ten different people who know the Lord in this room to get up here and give testimony, you would hear ten different versions of how God does it, but there would be a thread in it. There's, there are certain elements which are always true. For some, it happens in a heartbeat. There was a man in the book of Acts at Philippi. You remember he was, Paul was in prison there. God sends an earthquake in the middle of the night and certain things happen. That man looked, he hasn't been an inquirer. We don't know he listened to anything except for the hymns that Paul was singing. And when this took place and certain other things took place, he said, listen, how can I be saved? And right there, I mean, his experience of conviction and coming to Christ and everything, it happens in about this much time then there are other people who that experience of getting to know who Jesus is and coming to Christ takes years of, of God doing this and this and this and this and this. For some people, one element happens fast at the beginning, and then, other, then the order might be somewhat mixed up in your, in your practical experience. But here's what happened to you. All right? Here's what happened to you. When Jesus speaks about the gospel, he says this, If any man thirsts, let him come. It's real important for us to understand. Nobody comes who isn't thirsty. Why would you come to Christ if you're, if you're already happy with the way life is? All right? Now, it is not my job to make you unhappy about life. I think sometimes preachers think that that's their job, is to make you unhappy about life. Um, that's not my job. My job to tell you what life is really like, but if you're, on, if you're happy, I want to say that tonight. If you are happy with where you are and you don't know Christ, I have nothing to tell you. All right? As he said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. He said, if, if any man, if, if you come unto me, all those that are laboring and are heavy laden, if life is just pushing you down, and you come, he said. And, and his invitations always involve the idea that you are conscious of a need. And God is working in the lives of people. That's one of the things I'm trusting for, that he's going to work in your life to create in you a sense of need. He doesn't have to beat you up to do that. Not everybody goes through the crushing of their life in order to get to that place. You just have to know you have a need. For that person who has that need, then they begin to move towards the Lord. That's what, that's what we do. But then when you begin to move towards the Lord, he points out a particular need. Somewhere along the line, he points out this particular need, that you have committed sins which have put you at a distance with God. This is the gospel, right? He died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried and rose again on the third day according to Scriptures. Is he somewhere in there, even though we're coming because we're thirsty, and the Lord does fulfill there, He answers that thirst. Even though we come because we're burdened, and He is the one that can lift that burden, finally the Spirit of God is going to do what Jesus said He was going to do. He's going to come and convict you that your sin is there, that your righteousness isn't adequate, and your judgments are all wrong. That's what he said. Um, When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He'll show them that they're wrong. Now, this was the grace of God to you. We all went through that. And then you recognized that you had a need. Now, it depends on your experience. That could all happen inside of one sermon. For some of us, it happened over a long period of time, and we didn't quite get who Jesus was. And we, we wallowed in this pit of, oh, I'm an ugly person. And I am wrong with regards to God. We weren't sure exactly what to do about it. So anyway, what else does God do? Okay, that's the first step. I want to say he creates a sense of need because you won't come to him unless you have need because it's too costly. If you're still grabbing for this world and you still think that it holds the answer, you won't come to Christ. All right. Now, what does he do then? Then he tells me who Jesus Christ is. Weren't those great days when you began to realize that that person was a whole lot more than a historic figure. That he wasn't just the center of a religion, that he was a living person who had made a salvation which was adequate to take you by the hand and bring you to God. He showed you that you were in hopeless state with regards to your sin. But he also showed you that the hopelessness was in you, but it's not hopeless because of who God is. And God had stepped in in Jesus Christ to take that sin and answer that need and provide for you the possibility of getting to God. Then what did he do? He called you to receive it. Isn't that what happened? There came a moment when he says, now, it's for you. Are you going to receive it? Are you going to put your hand out and take it? You contributed nothing. It's very important in the concept here. When he says, as you've received, walk. Note this. You received on the basis of what he did. You brought nothing there except junk. All right? You brought nothing there that wasn't ruined. You came to one who was able to save, and from that moment on, everything that was good about you, everything that was safe about you, everything that was happy about you, everything was hopeful about you, was because he was who he is. Because now you're in him. Wasn't that a wonderful day? You converted and you're established. All right, now, that's how you did it. Now, what's he say? Paul then. Suggests to us that every step from that point on should be lived with almost exactly the same, or well, with exactly the same pattern. What does that mean? What is God going to do in this period? We talk about the sanctification of the spirit. I was in Thessalonians, right? The sanctification of the spirit and faith in the truth. That's what God's doing now. He sanctifies in the spirit and the faith in the truth. What's happening on a daily basis? How do I enter into that life? What's going to have to happen? If you will note on your, if you will note on your notes, if you will look on those notes and and see it there, you will find out that the next section has exactly the same points as the section above it. That was on purpose. All right, it was a copy. I didn't copy and paste, but it does turn out the same. All right, why does it turn out the same? Because I have to live today the same way that I came then. I'm established in Christ. I mean, you have been firmly established. This doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you are right before God. What it has to do with is whether or not you're going to experience the life He died that you might experience. Whether you are going to bear the fruit or you're going to be a benefit to people around you in the way that He intended it to be. So what do you going to have to do? First thing you have to do is recognize your need. The need you recognized at the very beginning was that there was nothing in you to answer the problem that you found. That's real important. And this is where, again, practically speaking, I think I part company with a lot of people in this one. They wouldn't part company verbally. but say, I don't know. I don't know. If I'm going to experience the life that God has for me, My part in that life is a response of faith. That's what it is. Because Jesus Christ is still the salvation. The answer to every one of those things, we thought at the very beginning about having the courage to face life. How are you going to have the courage to face life? By being courageous? No, by taking hold of the truth of the word of God and what Jesus Christ is to me. Again, we're not, we're not on that point yet. We're not trying to expound how this all works out in the details. But it changes your whole experience when I realize that, you know what? I feel very lonely, but I'm not alone in this. I am never alone in anything. I am never left deserted because there is always one who's right beside me. I will never leave you. That's what he said. I will never leave you or forsake you. Part of what he won for me in that salvation was the privilege of knowing Him at my side the rest of my entire eternal existence. How about that? And that has a practical matter today, right? That when I'm standing here tonight and trying to explain who He is, realizing that for some of you this is life and death to understand, and you bear that, well, I'm not alone in it, right? I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to leave you up there all by yourself. Again, um, anything that comes of fruitfulness, where does it come from? Oh, it comes from your diligence and your Bible said, No, it comes from who he is, right? It either comes from him or I can't walk the same way that I started because at the beginning I had nothing to contribute The only thing I could do, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. All right? I have to live that way the rest of the way. And I can live that way because he made provision for it. Okay, go to that matter concerning the control of my life, all right? Being able to order my way. I happen to be with first-year students in Romans chapter 6. We're going to start that tomorrow. and He's going to talk about how it is that God has done work so that I could share the life of Christ and I could overcome sin. The Spirit of God is going to be working through the Word of God to teach me that Jesus Christ is enough to enable me to break the power of every sin that's out there. I mean, every sin. either is true or it's not true. We don't need psychology to help us out of this. Psychology can help us understand where our problems are. They can describe our problems to us. But nobody gets free from sin. Nobody stops that pattern of sin until they lay hold of the life of Jesus Christ. Because I'm complete in him. And that's part of what Paul says. Don't let anybody drive you distract you with philosophy, and philosophy would include those kinds of things. What patterns, According to the the elementary principles of the world, just self-manipulation. Right? So we could go on down the line, but that's not what I want to do here today. We don't think about all the details. We're going to be thinking about that for the rest of our, our time. How does this work out with regards to daily living? How does it work out with regards to my overcoming sin? How does this work out with regards to my experience in this world with people and with the tides of this world how does that experience how does that work out with regards to the powers of darkness that control the the course of this world how does that work out in me being a benefit to people around me how does this all work but as you receive Christ Jesus the lord walk in him so I'm going to first of all note my need I mean I'm not going to note it the spirit of god's going to note it to you I think that's one of the reasons why a verse we had last week is there. Once a person really gets hold of that, Paul says that we have, <clears throat> therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Right? Then a verse later, <laughs> it's just a little bit later, he says this. He said we glory in the fact that we have the hope of the glory of God. All right? we have, we're, we're exalting in this. We're jumping up and down because we have that. Okay? And he says, and we exalt also in our tribulation because tribulation works patience and patience, endurance, stable faith. Right? That's what he's getting to. He says, we are happy that we're going through this because in these circumstances, the Spirit of God is working them together so that my faith is stabilized in Christ. That's that's what he's getting at in that particular verse. Got the idea. It all leads to this. All right? So we first of all, the exp- exp- Spirit of God has to tell us. The Spirit of God has to come to me if I'm going to teach and teach me that he has to teach. You just take a word. Be faithful to the Lord. Just tell him what the word says. And that, this is so releasing. All I got to do is tell you what the word is. Then the Spirit of God takes it from there. Okay. It's great to pass the baton to him right at the beginning. Right? You can have a baton. But you're, you've got to do it his way. Right? In faith, you do what he says. You teach the word of God. And then the spirit of God takes it. And then he will use it. I contribute what? Nothing. I can't make you see. I can't cause you to feel it. I can't cause you to understand it. The spirit of God can, though. And as I receive Christ Jesus, Lord, I can walk in him. But what do I have to do? I have to respond in faith. He tells us to go and preach. We go and preach. Not because we're we're thinking of my preaching is going to count anything, but that's the response of faith. Take your time. Go ahead. Be fruit or be, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord because he'll pick it up. But if it's up to me, there's nothing there. How do we walk? The Spirit of God shows us we have a need, whether it's a need to overcome sin or a need to overcome fear, just that circumstance of fear, or a need to be met by the Spirit of God so that the people closest to me are blessed and not cursed by my existence, a need to understand how to deal with powers of darkness that come in to rob my soul of of its benefit in Christ. He shows me my need, but he shows me the Lord. He shows me what he's done. He shows me how what he has done brings benefit to me in that particular circumstance. Because if he doesn't have an answer to every circumstance I will face, I am not complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. I will have to go somewhere else. I'm talking about life now. We're talking about the issues of living the abundant life. If he hasn't made provision for every single problem I will face in the entirety of my life, then I can't say I'm complete in him. Paul is bold. He says, You're complete. And then what's he do? He asks us after he shows us who what he has done on our behalf in a particular circumstance. Then what's he do? He says, now, trust me. Trust me. Now, isn't it a beautiful way? When am I going to need that? I'm going to need that every step because that's the whole idea. Walking, you walk from this side. Watch this. I walked from there to here. If I'm going to walk, that means that's the whole process. Every step of the way. I will need him tonight to speak the Word of God. I need him to meet me in accordance with his Word if I'm going to do this the way he wants it done. But tomorrow I'm going to need him for a whole lot of other things. I'm going to need him in relationships. I am going to need him in dealing with the world that's around me. I'm going to have to need him, or I'm going to need him in every particular step of the way. And everything I will face, he has made provision for. He has already done it. And he asked me to trust him. Now, you may not understand tonight. I'm going to say this. You may not understand all that he has done. That's that's true. Because if we did, then we, wouldn't have, we could go amen and go home. And then you go tell somebody else. You don't. But that's what he's doing. And that's what he's calling. That's why what you said last week is so important. Rejoicing in the Lord is the first thing. Keep your eyes on him. Keep looking unto Jesus. Whether you understand where it's there, it's there. Just keep looking. It's there. And you will find it out. But here's the other part. I think this is most beautiful part of the Christian life. He died the just for the unjust to bring me to God. He is God. And He's so worked out this life so that if I want to experience a life, I have to sit right next to him the whole way. No time off, no time away. He'll never leave me or forsake me. There's no other path. There's nothing else to do so that no matter what part of life I'm in, I am with him which is the essence of life itself. He's not going to give you salvation so that you can go and do your own thing. He's going to give you salvation by, as Mr. Carroll used to call it, a contact principle, where I am with him all the time. And that flow of life comes to meet every single need. So Paul could say in Philippians, we start off with last week, I can do all things. I can face it all. I can face the temptations. I can face the difficult circumstances. I can face the pressure of people around me. I mean, he's going to go on trial. I can face demonic powers. And in this place, even though they've got me trapped in a prison, I can still bear fruit. I can still bless lives because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ask him to teach you it's so. Uh, okay, well, let's pray. Father, we come and ask you to meet us. We thank you for that wonderful work you did for us to bring us to yourself. We thank you for making a provision for the sin that we had committed so that we could be made clean and know what it is to fellowship with you. We thank you for the provisions you've made that we understand, for every time you've ever blessed us and met us and proved yourself to us. We thank you for all the things that you are that we've never tapped into, we've never experienced, we've never laid hold of. We thank you for the Spirit of God tonight, working in our lives, engineering circumstances, speaking to us, quickening your word so we can enter into it. Bring it to pass for your glory in us right here. And we come and trust you for it. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen.